You're not going to knee bar Clay Guida. Not happening. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number 22 of the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Site Podcast Network. Myself, Silas Martin, my co-host as always, Christian Reynolds. Today, we're just going to be hitting a cheeky quick recap of some stuff that happened the weekend just gone. Uh, mainly the UFC Fight Night card headlined by Jessica Andrade and Amanda Lemos, but also a bunch of other stuff that we totally forgot was happening. Uh, this was... A weird UFC card because it was definitely entertaining. It had a ton of uh, wacky, unexpected finishes, uh, but there was also some fights where I was looking forward to some like like crazy back and forth violence, and like, then somebody just got submitted in a really weird way, basically immediately, and in a way that was that was like cool and neat in its own way, but in a way that kind of uh, uh, kind of cut some fights short that you know could have been fun and interesting had they gone a little bit deeper. Let's just get right on into this uh, main event. Jessica Andrade submits Amanda Lemos by fucking standing arm triangle. What? Yeah, I mean, that's what Jessica be doing lately. Uh, just it do be. And by lately, I mean now that she's back at one fifteen. I feel like her next fight is also going to be similar to this, if it's not a title shot. Uh, yeah, and. Just as I was starting to become really concerned with Jessica Andrade's approach to this fight, um, like we picked Jessica Andrade mainly because Amanda Lemos tends to take the back foot and look for counters, but has issues with being pressured and people who can put a pace on her. And we just didn't think she'd be able to sustain that against Jessica Andrade. And to her credit, she knew what she was doing and was much more insistent about standing her ground and moving forward. And Jessica Andrade just seemed weirdly content to just have this like outside kicking fight with just uh, the longer, more accurate striker who like, wants to pick her off from range. It, it, it really seemed like she was very conscious about not walking into counters, but then at the same time was kind of not pushing her win condition by just letting Amanda Lemos come forward. But then she just, um, she just grabbed a hold of her and Amanda Lemos was immediately like visibly distressed about just how fucking strong Jessica Andrade is. And uh, she locks up the standing arm triangle and she straight up just has the squeeze to finish it. That's generally a submission where, I mean, like traditionally you're going to finish that from side control where you can actually put weight down and, and apply the pressure to to like constrict the neck up against the shoulder or you know in very rare circumstances you might see someone someone like Aljamain Sterling finish that from like guard where he can still use his legs to control posture but that was some wacky shit yeah and, and Jessica kind of looked bad on the feet for what little we saw of her 
So it, yeah. it seemed like just a really smart decision because what it felt like to me was Jessica simply just wasn't having a very good night on the feet, and it was her first back, fight back in 115. Probably was a little, I don't know, just tentative for whatever reason. Uh, and then she I mean, she was talking. So apparently, she was talking before the fight about like like she was saying, "Oh, I can't come forward too aggressively against Lamosh." I don't, I don't, don't want the Weili Zhang fight to happen. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like she kind of just got in her own head, and then her adjustment to it was, I'm just going to fucking go grab her real quick and hope that works out, and then it did. Which is the correct adjustment when you're that strong. It's not like Amanda Lemos is weak, either. No, Amanda Lemos seemed to be one of the only people at the top of the division that's going to be able to actually handle uh, Jessica Andrade physically, in theory, because, like, I can't even fucking imagine what would happen to Michelle Watterson if she fought Jessica Andrade. Oh, my God. You know, God. like, there's there's matchups where I don't think they're winnable for people against Andrade, just based on, like, the physicality difference. Well, then who do you want to see Jessica Andrade fight next? Uh, the champion. I th- yeah, that's fair. Like, really, you could give Andrade, Zhang, Joanna, Rose, like, any of those yeah, are mean, good. The, I mean, the, the, winner, the winner of... Uh... Zhang Yuanna. I mean, it, it seems like the winner of that fight will almost certainly just jump back into a title shot, but I'd actually love to see either of them rematch Jessica Andrade at this point. Yeah, it, it's like a really cool top four, and I'm glad that Andrade is back because it, she just seemed out of place at another division. Otherwise, she could fight like uh, Marina Rodriguez. Yeah, that'd be cool. That would be all bangers. Harsh matchmaking for Marina, though. I mean, it's harsh matchmaking for anyone in the division. Yeah, true. I mean, she could fight Mackenzie Dern. Is that less mean? Uh, that'd be hilarious. Yeah, let's make that one. If you don't give Jessica Andrade a title fight, give her Mackenzie Dern, who she will throw to the floor like 15 times, but probably spend a round in, in like a go-go plotter or something. <laughs> and just be like, I'm going to flex and bust out of this real quick. Mm-hmm. Okay, so co-main event. Um... Yeah, don't uh, take our advice uh, when we're picking a fight that in any way involves a crafty old man. Yeah, we're going to pick the crafty old guy. Yeah. Clay Guida, be getting submitted. <clears throat> and, you know, despite the fact that Clay Guida had been submitted 10 times as a professional MMA fighter, before this, I was like reasonably confident that uh, Claudio Poyas was, wasn't going to submit him. Um, because you know Clay Guida, it's not like he doesn't know how to ju- do jujitsu. You know, we saw that in this fight, and you see that particularly particularly when you see him in like a pure grappling match with Billy Quarantillo, who is in his own right an incredibly dangerous, opportunistic submission guy. And Clay just kind of like handled him on top and scrambled well. Um, but you can catch him in transitions and uh. Claudio Poyas is uh, just the knee bar guy, I guess. I mean, I, I thought he was Chase Hooper, but he might be closer to Charles Oliveira than I was giving him credit for. Yeah, it, it turns out he's, if Chase Hooper took the Captain America juice, because there's no fucking way that uh, Claudio is not incredibly steroided up. He is so fucking cut for a guy with such a weird style. Yeah, I underestimated Claudio Poyas, and he's really young, has plenty of time to develop. You know, if he really is Charles Oliveira, we we could be looking at uh we we could be looking at a future contender or at least a fun action fighter who can hang around hang around for a while and is going to get some weird finishes that you don't see coming. 
Yeah, him being really young means he has like a good amount of time to grow into a, a different type of fighter that's actually more sustainable at the top level. Because, yeah, he just did this to Clay Guida, but Clay looked pretty outsized. And, I don't know, like Clay, we, he was in his prime, I think, but this may be the fight that uh, takes him out of his prime finally. Because he had like a year-long prime after <laughs> never really being able to put it together until he was like 39. Yeah. And as for Claudio Poyas, um, I uh, think he should just fight Drew Dober now. Because he may very well just insta-sub him, or he uh, might just get knocked the fuck out immediately, and it'd be interesting. So why not? Yeah, he could also give Claudio uh, a fight with Armin Sarukian. I mean, if you're just like trying to uh, feed him to the wolves straight away, I think Armin's deserved a bit of a step up. And I don't know if Claudio Poyas is like, quite there where he should be getting ranked names just yet but he should be fighting like you know good fighters who were coming off of wins he could fight like Jalen Turner or something uh, uh Macy Barber kind of beat the shit out of Montana De La Rosa this wasn't a very good fight but it uh was it was good in terms of a career development for Macy Barber because she did the thing that she's good at which is be strong and hit people in the clinch. Uh, she wasn't just like lost at sea, just like pumping out strikes from like eight feet away. She just got in her opponent's face and, you know, Montana De La Rosa just didn't have the tools to stay out of the clinch with Macy Barber. So she kind of just like threw her around and dirty boxed her up against the cage. And as she does, it's like kind of came on stronger and got increasingly more violent as the fight went on. So um, I think this was an okay look for Macy Barber and I hope that she just stays at Team Alpha Male because she's been gym hopping, which is never a good sign. And uh, I kind of think Rufus Sport was uh, like just not the right kind of gym for her. Like, Like a place that like emphasizes like really technical long range combination striking and stuff like this. Like, she just needs somewhere somewhere that's just going to get her pushing her advantages. This uh, seemed like that's, uh, that's what she was doing here. Yeah, and it was pretty classic Montana De La Rosa in that she got athleted by someone that's shorter than her. Because that's, like, all of her losses. And pretty much anyone that she can't submit or, like, fuck up in the wrestling just based on them occasionally being weaker than her. Sometimes that happens. Most of the time, she just fights someone stronger than her and they wrestle fucker or punch her against cage. I mean, even with the strength advantage, you know, Macy Barber still has her problems with getting, with just giving up top position and, and just like getting put there for good stretches of the fight. Um, but she just, like, she can naturally be pretty violent when she gets on top or just gets someone smushed up against the cage. Uh, Charles Jordan submitted Lando for now. That was funny. Um, you know, I mean, this was another one of those fights where, like, it was kind of booked as a crazy striking banger, but we did float the possibility that Lando Venata, you, you know, we could get a coward wrestler Lando, and we did, and he paid the ultimate price. I mean, it's not even like he got submitted directly as a result of his wrestling. It's just the fact that, like. You know, Lando, he's got a load of like weird little tricks that you're not going to see coming. Um, and, and we did compliment his wrestling, 
but like, oh, he just doesn't really have much of a top game like at all. So he might catch you off guard with some weird takedowns if you don't have like ironclad takedown defense. But you, you're going to be able to get back up and Charles Jordan like did immediately and then just like straight away dropped Lando as soon as they exchanged. And then I got, to- got on top of him and guillotined. And as he regarded to finish the guillotine, he uh, pulled Lando's pants down as he choked him out. The ultimate disrespect. It was pretty neat. Yeah, it was a great finish by Jordan, but an equally embarrassing performance by by Venata. Because he, he, he actually, like, he did the things that make him Lando in parts, but everything between it was just really dry. Like, he, he wasn't fainting very well. He was doing it, but it, they weren't very convincing, and it wasn't really off-putting Jordan. And and then, like, by the time that the, the knockdown came, it, w- it wasn't even, like, that much of a knockdown. He just kind of hit him while Venata stepped in for no reason, thinking that he would be safe. Like, he, he, he was just do doing that. the shitty Jackson wing feints and got dropped. I mean, yeah, and, you know, Lando will just kind of, like, enter the pocket and then be like, well, what am I going to do now? Yeah, and then when he got buzzed, he just kind of went for a reshoot and got guillotined. It, it was like Jordan's first submission win or something, which is pretty cool. Like, that seems to be a correct thing for Jordan to kind of push his style towards, is just if he gets taken down, just submit them real quick, you know? Or, or if if you get the opportunity, be able to have like a kind of a defensive guillotine that you can win the fight with. And he he is exactly the kind of weird action fighter who you would expect to just have a good guillotine. Like apparently he is a black belt. Oh, he has a guillotine choke earlier in his career. Looked it up. He has two guillotine chokes. He just thinks striking's cool. Yep. And he uh, called out Edson Barboza and promised to bang with him. It sounds like a cool fight. I don't really know where Edson's at. I'd kind of rather see Jordan fun action fights with guys in their prime like Billy Quarantillo Shane Burgos all great fights yeah or if you want to give him like a softer touch just give him like Danny Gay who he could have a really good fight with like I don't, I think a lot of people would think that Ige would just kind of fuck up Jordan but I think that'd be pretty hard for, for Ige I think there's a good chance that Ige would out wrestle him also uh, Ige's booked with Movsar Evluev and after he loses that fight, he can <laughs> maybe fight Charles Rodon. <laughs> Spoiler yeah, for whenever we have to cover that card, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick uh, Evloev. Uh, yeah, and then uh, you know these things always come in twos. Uh, Mark Andre Barrio versus uh, Jordan Wright. It was weird that this was the time that Jordan Wright decided to try something different after uh, agreeing to bang with Bruno Silva and Joaquin Buckley, and then in this fight being like, oh, I'm going to do, like, outfighting and wrestling. And, um, yeah, just, like, left his neck out there shooting a high crotch and got guillotined. Yeah, it was pretty simple. It was. It seemed like Jordan Wright finally decided to, like, change the way he fights to try and adjust for the fact that the guys in the UFC can actually handle him physically. Because his entire pre-UFC run and early UFC run where he was actually able to win fights was just him kind of bullying people that were not UFC-level athletes. Which, yeah, it feels cringy to say, but, like, to get into the UFC, you gotta be, uh, like, a baseline physicality normally. Unless you're just incredibly skilled. 
yeah, and if you don't, that there is like, yeah, there is just a different level of of skill and technique that you you need to make up for it. And you just wasn't fighting those guys. Yeah, and durability is a massive one as well. And he was fighting guys that weren't particularly durable compared to guys like Bruno Silva or Joaquin Buckley. And Joaquin Buckley's been knocked out in the UFC, but he's pretty durable compared to the guys that you'll see on the regional. Yeah, he's also just someone who like you don't want to bang with. And it seems like, well, well why didn't you try this against Joaquin Buckley? Yeah, and Barrio definitely like hits pretty hard. But uh, I don't know. Like Jordan Wright's tried to bang with people that hit harder, where that's less of a win condition against. Like he, he basically didn't have a way to win the Bruno Silva fight. Oh yeah, he just would have got knocked out either way. Yeah, like they, like it, it was just kind of bad decision making by Wright that led to him losing in a way that is pretty promising for Mark Andre. Uh, Sergey Kondoshko knocked out Dwight Grant. Looks to be a pretty promising welterweight. Dwight Grant's always kind of a, a weird measure of how someone's going to do because he's like he's like pretty athletic and he hits hard, but he's like really negative and doesn't do that much. He just has a kind of weird style. Um, and this was kind of one of those fights that I mean, one fight of the night, but it was kind of one of those fights that was just like a lot of weird empty space, and then suddenly somebody getting knocked down, and then just uh. Ended with a really cool finishing sequence where Kondajko uh, hit Dwight Grant with a left hook to the body, which got him throwing back his right hand, which exposed his chin for the left hook up top, which stunned him. And then uh, another left hook as he's trying to circle out, gets the job done. It was cool to see three left hands in a row to finish a fight. That was neat. Yeah, and Kondajko's, he was making adjustments to like get more into the fight or like make it less close as the fight went on. Uh, and Grant was definitely getting tired, so like a, a bunch of factors led to the finish. But yeah, Grant is just not able to like his hands. He doesn't know, doesn't know what to do with his hands when he starts getting cracked, and his mechanics are kind of whack. Like even like commentary was like commenting on how he needed to tighten up his hooks. And then Kondoshko on the flip side looked like pretty controlled. Like he, he was just handling himself well. He he wasn't overextending after the first round really, and and then finally just had to walk him to the cage and fuck him up real hard with like kind of a sloppy left overhand off the body shot. But it, it looked really kind, nice. It was a kind of yeah, it was a kind of wacky shot mechanically, but um, it was just like the punch that he needed to land in that situation to get the job done. Yeah, it was it was very nice to see because of how Grant had like thrown him off balance with his right hand and the angle that he needed to get on to, to clear like Grant's right elbow and whatnot. Yeah, and you could also tell that it was a guy that was like 28 and 6 versus someone that's now 11 and 5. It was like a massive experience difference even though Dwight Grant's been in the UFC for a while. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Kondajko uh, looks like another decent addition to the division and a promising sign for the potential re-goodification of welterweight that we recently discussed. Then uh, Tyson Pedro made a return. Uh, looked pretty good. Uh, had Eugene Behrman in his corner now. Has obviously been with City Kickboxing. Was fun. We, we were actually, you know, watching him doing like jab feints into low kicks and stuff. Being like, damn, Tyson Pedro looking like Israel Adesanya out here. And then we're like, oh, he's got uh, he's got uh, Eugene Behrman in his corner. Uh, there we go. Just uh, low kicked up a storm and. Like really fucked uh, 
Ike Villanueva up with one of the low kicks, which like dropped him up against the cage, which just put him in put him in a position for Tyson Pedro to like put him away with a few nasty shots up against the cage, uh, Romero Rockhold style. That was a good performance. Good to see Tyson Pedro back and in good form after you know at one point uh, looking like a <clears throat> pretty promising prospect and then just getting some old guy matchups that he wasn't quite ready for where he lost in some uh, pretty embarrassing ways. But uh, looked like a decent fighter and uh, a decent addition to light heavyweight. Yeah, I, I find it very strange how well City Kickboxing coaches people into fighting their style. I mean, I, I guess it's also partially just the type of fighters that go to that gym kind of want a style where you're just going to like faint low kicks and then jab and then that opens up the rest of your game because they teach you like three drills on how to how to kind of like establish a setup for a, a basic damaging technique or attrition tool and then just let you do your own thing which seems like a, a pretty good way to teach mma fighters just have them jab and low kick and then let them do their thing yeah and that works for you know a whole bunch of people who are physically and spiritually just completely different fighters from Israel Adesanya to Dan Hooker to Kakara France. Yeah, there's a lot of versatility in who that style can work for, and it's so minimal that no one's going to be like too hard-headed to absorb. So yeah, City Kickboxing is pretty sick. Uh, they're, if you give them someone that is coachable, they will turn them like into a Pretty competent fighter. Even though they do have some duds. But that's that's to come with any gym. Yeah, so sometimes you just get totally unique space cases that you, that you can't blame the coaches for. I'm talking about Blood Diamond. Uh, and then Arichi Lang uh, fucked up Cameron Else. Oh yeah, fucked him up real good. Oh, I should have been stopped a <laughs> good bit before it was. Like dropped yeah. him with a nasty leaping left up, left hook to the body, and then just fucking him up from top. That landed like a straight to the solar plexus from like stacking over Cameron Ellis's guard, and it was it was over from there. Yeah, it was a very strange uh, how Keith Peterson was just allowing him to get battered with the same two shots over and over for a solid like 40 seconds it felt like but you know seemed like else didn't get that badly hurt by it and he got dropped to the body so at least it wasn't him getting dropped to the head and then pounded on the head for, for that long i can kind of see what the ref is going for but yeah it, it was it was weird yeah but i can't take away from Richie lang having a sick body hook yeah he looked good get him some action fights with bantamweight another cool guy to add to the most stacked division in the UFC. Uh, Evan Elder uh, did a bunch of body kicks and got taken down. Yeah, Preston Parsons has good takedowns, at least in the first two rounds. So do with that what you will. And uh, not great arm triangles. Yeah, bad arm triangles. Uh, that or Evan Elder is like a Charles Rosa-esque arm triangle denial or denialist. Uh, what's the word? Denier? I don't fucking know. 
Have you got anything to say about the Marcin Pratnio fight? Uh, yeah. Marcin got really fucking tired, uh, but Philippe Linz got slightly less tired, and they had a kind of weak first round, and then a crazy second round. And then in the third round, they were too tired to do that much, but it was still pretty violent. Uh, and each round had its moments. Yeah, these guys are fucking weird, man. I don't know what you do with either of them at this point. Yeah, like, you honestly could have given that fight fight of the night just on the action that did happen, but it was so... Like, it just existed. Like, it, it's just really hard to even remember what was happening in the fight because of just how standard it felt for a banger at light heavyweight. Yeah, and also fight of the night should have gone to Mike Jackson versus Dean Barry opening the card. Yep, that was one of the best fights I've ever seen. It was so funny. Mike Jackson getting spin kicks in the dick and then just saying verbally, Oh my god, a spin kick to the dick! Ah, like Just hearing him react to getting spin kicked to the dick was the funniest thing I've ever heard. And then he got horrifically eye-poked, or eye-gouged uh, is the particular term. Because of how deep into the eye he went with his nail. And won a DQ. I also liked Paul Felder being like, now I've been spin kicked pretty hard in the dick. And let me tell you, you wouldn't be talking to the ref if it was that bad. Yeah, along with all of those things that were really funny about this fight, uh, Dean Barry's style is just wacky as fuck. He's just, he looks like just like kind of like a standard MMA guy who watched a Stephen Thompson fight and he was like, oh my God, that's fucking sick. Because like he doesn't look mechanically, although he, uh, as if he has like a traditional karate background, but his stance and all of his shot selection was just like blitzing one twos and flicky lead high kicks and bouncing around. And he he had been in the process of finishing Mike Jackson for like two minutes before he just like pushed off with an absolutely disgusting eye gouge, which uh yeah got him DQ'd. So that was sick. Yeah, it was a pretty hilarious fight. I would recommend it. Uh, and I don't know, give Mike Jackson uh, the rematch with CM Punk since the first one got overturned. I feel like it's time we see CM Punk back. Okay, so then just a few other things to touch on before we get out of here. Um, there was another Bellator card that we just didn't realize was happening. Uh, Kyoji Horiguchi fought Patchy Mix and uh, kind of just got backpacked for three rounds and uh, lost a decision. That was kind of whack. And uh, I'm sure has at this point has some people uh, reassessing the take that Kyoji Horiguchi is actually the best bantamweight in the world. He's a very good fighter, but he's like realistically actually a flyweight and uh, has just like adapted to a completely different meta of MMA that it kind of just is out in Ryzen. Yeah, and, and because I am an asshole and was picking Sergio very confidently going into that fight and want to rub it in to people that Sergio won, uh, now that... Kyoji has lost in a way that is as opposite of how the Sergio Pettis fight went. I think we can all agree that it was not a fluke. I mean, it definitely wasn't a fluke. But also, you know, uh, Patchy Mix is fucking huge and pretty good at taking people's backs. It'd be like that. Uh, Jeremy Stevens fought Clay Collard in PFL. Not a whole bunch to say about this other than that it was a banger. And if you missed it, you should go watch it. Yeah. 
and uh, reinforce something that I've been saying for a little bit, which is that Jeremy Stevens kind of not even shot. Like, if even though he's on like a fucking twenty fight losing streak or whatever, uh, most of it's to like actual elite featherweights. And if Jeremy Stevens is shot, what 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 about him as degraded? He just looks like the same guy he's always been, and loses the same fights that he always would have. And this was like kind of a close fight that you maybe could have given him. Yeah, and he looked like barely slower, but you know, really the the things that have always lost him fights lost him this one. Like Clay Collard's just durable and was hitting the body and outlasted him cardio wise and was longer, which is just shit that that Jeremy Stevens doesn't like dealing with. I mean, Jeremy Stevens may be the hardest hitting featherweight, but he's not the hardest hitting lightweight. Nope. Clay Collard survived getting like head kicked by Anthony Pettis and flying kneed by Anthony Pettis. And then uh, one last thing, another fight that doesn't necessarily lend itself that well to analysis, but that you need to watch because it was insane. Uh, one championship had a card with a bunch of kickboxing stuff. Some stuff happened. It's cool, whatever. But uh, Liam Harrison, uh, one of the UK uh, Muay Thai greats, fought Wang Thai, a former stadium champion, uh, famous for being one of the most devastating elbow specialists of his era. And uh, if you want to see a, a just drag out war with multiple knockdowns and an insane comeback win that happens within the space of like two minutes, you just go, go watch this fight. It was insane. Oh, also, Tyson Fury knocked out Dylan White. Uh, Dylan White now has three professional losses, all uh, by uppercut. So that that that's an issue for him. Yeah, big uh, boxing Frankie Edgar. Except the issue with boxing is that there's only one uppercut, whereas MMA has like fifty uppercuts. There's a lot of variety for for like types of uppercut you can get fucked up with. Yeah, at, at least uh, <laughs> in MMA. At least Dylan White isn't going to go on a string of getting knocked out by flying knees and front kicks. And he's probably going to retire now anyway. But anyway, that's us done for this week. Um, as always, if you enjoy this content and the other stuff that the fight site puts out, consider supporting them on Patreon. Just a pledge of $3 gains access to a huge library of re- really high quality analytical fight content. And then a pledge of $5 gains access to a Discord server with a great community full of interesting fight fans from a huge variety of different backgrounds. We have very interesting discussions and you can talk to staff and ask us questions. Myself and Christian are both very active in the chats and in the voice chat where we regularly host fight night watch parties and get together with Patreons, watch watch a whole bunch of different fights. It's always good fun. You should come hang out. This has been the Forbidden Technique Podcast. We'll catch you in just a few days where we hopefully should be having a guest on to uh, break down this weekend's fight night main event one I've personally really been looking forward to between uh, Marlon Chito Vera and Rob Font so it should be a fun one we'll see you then peace later later